Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. I have a set of parents in my home. They've been married 37 years. They're active in the church. They're going to talk about their youngest daughter who is gay and share the story of being LDS parents with a gay daughter. And our hope before I introduce them is this podcast will be helpful to you if your parents and this is the reality of your family situation or if, you, or if you're LGBTQ or a local leader, the things that I believe that they will share will be helpful to you as you're walking this road. Um, their names are Steph and Reed Povey. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Is that how I say your last name, Steph? Yes. And that's spelled P-O-V-E-Y. And Steph and Reed are here. They're both here together, but Steph is going to be the one that's going to share the family story. They're united in this story, but Steph's got the microphone, the notes, so she'll be the one sharing the story for, on behalf of both of them. As I mentioned, this good couple's been married 37 years. They've raised their family and live in Kaysville. Um, Steph's been a school teacher for 31 years. Yes. And thank you. There's just hundreds and hundreds and perhaps thousands of school children that are better off. They're all adults now. A lot of them are because of your work. And I'm 60 and I can still remember the names of some of my school teachers. So thank you for what you've done. Thank you. I became aware of Steph from her sister, who is somebody that's close to our family, Tammy Hill, who is a wonderful marriage and family therapist. And um, why don't you talk about the blog you wrote? Um, for, for Tammy. Okay. Or we, you can just kind of start wherever you want. I'll just kind of turn over you now to just start <laughs> where you want to start. Well, I am, first of all, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. I just really appreciate it. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. You have um, definitely enriched my life, you and your book and your podcast. So I appreciate that. Um, so uh, recently I have uh, signed a contract with a publishing company and I'm in the process of publishing my first book now. Awesome. And I'm very excited about that. We're hoping that that's going to, I'm surprised as a, pu as a published author, you probably know this, but this was my first book and I had no idea how long it takes to go from signing the contract to actually getting a release date. So, um, I'm kind of waiting for that in the spring. And in the meantime, my sister, Tammy Hill, contacted me and asked if I'd like to write for her blog. And I said, absolutely, but I'm not really sure about what yet. And so I thought about that, and I kept feeling this, this nagging feeling that I really should um, write about when our daughter came to us and told us that she had a same-sex attraction. And so I contacted her, and she said, All right, is that something you really want to go out there with? And I said, yeah, I think so. I've talked with Hannah, and I feel like it's something I really want to write. And so we went from there. And, of course, she, knowing you and loving you and your family, she sent that on to you, and that's how we became connected. The small world. Yes, um, talk about your book. Tell us the name of the book and um, when it will come out. So um, the name of my book is You Can't Play, You're a Girl. And my target audience is the the age group that I taught school, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and, you know, junior high type age. And so the the book is about my life growing up, a memoir of uh, being raised by a very large, very active LDS family in a small town, Utah, Kaysville. We live, what, maybe two miles from the home I grew up in. And um, I have wonderful parents and seven great siblings that I love very much, and we're very dear friends. But growing up, I really struggled. Uh, I was an anomaly. I guess that's all you can, because in my little bubble, there was nobody else like me. You know, I hadn't gone anywhere really, but there was nobody like me. Um, from the time I was a toddler, uh, my parents said, uh, I remember my mom said she gave me a, a doll and I would walk around holding it by its leg upside down. And so, but 
you gave me a ball, I could catch it and throw it. And um, it became very apparent how different I was when I started school. Um, girls had to always wear dresses. I hated dresses. I had to wear a skirt or a dress every day to school. And as I got a little older and wanted to play sports, um, there was just nothing for me. And I was told that constantly. You can't play. You're a girl. I remember begging my parents to let me play Little League, Little League baseball or Little League football. And it was no you can't, you're a girl. And when I would, I always ask why, why, why? And the answer was, we don't really know. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's just the way things are done. So I really hate that answer. <laughs> it was done that way. But, um, so that was difficult. It was difficult growing up. I felt, um, uh, school was treacherous for me. I was teased and, um, bullied. It wasn't called bullying back then. I'm not sure what it was called, but it was definitely bullying, you know, pushing me into the boys' bathroom, telling me that that was the bathroom I was supposed to use. I wore my hair very short, still today. Um, I was even pantsed in elementary school by kids that wanted to make sure I was a girl, that sort of thing. Wow. And it was tough. It was tough growing up. And um, I didn't tell my parents anything. Um, I had a teacher that was finally in second grade, a teacher that I really loved. Um, and she had to quit teaching because she was expecting a baby. And the district policy was when your a woman's tummy starts to show, she can't teach any longer. And again, I asked why that doesn't make sense. Why? It's just the way it is. And the teacher that took her place had a, had two strikes against her right from the start because she replaced a teacher that was very kind to me and and you know protective of me and and uh, so I had to finish the year out with her in second grade and then she was also my third grade teacher and she caught me putting shorts on underneath my dresses so that my underwear wouldn't show when I would climb trees and try to play football with the boys and things and that was not acceptable. And so I kind of grew up feeling like I wasn't acceptable. And I also grew up hearing, you know, being taught on Sundays and in my family that, you know, this is your role. You'll grow up, you'll, you'll get married, you'll have a family. And, and, you know, and seeing the, the, the assigned gender roles that there were in the sixties and, my desire at that time was to was to play sports and build things. And I remember specifically a time when we we lived on a we were the first house on a street. We moved uh, this summer between my third and fourth grade year. And across the street, some people were building a home. And one day, I was always outside always outside from the second I got home from school the, I'd tear off the dress, get on the Levi's or and whatever, and, and go outside to play. And across the street, they were building uh, a house. And one day I saw a man in a truck stuck. It was a fall day. It'd been rainy back when we used to get snow in October before Halloween. And I went to our sandbox and I piled in some, sand and I hauled that our sandbox is way down back so I hauled that up a hill and across the street and I helped this man get his truck unstuck and you know he rustled my head and said thanks buddy and handed me two quarters and I realized he thought I was a boy I was nine years old and I uh I looked for his truck every day. And if I saw his truck, I'd hurry and tear off my dress and get on my pants and my jacket and head over there. And I loved it. He let me hammer and saw. And, and I even got to run like a big air compressor nail gun, boom, 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 like that. And, oh, I loved it. I thought that's what I wanted to do when I grow up is build houses, you know. And then this reality came to me that, oh, that's right. I can't. I'm a girl. And, and I would always 
be sure that I would go home before my mother would call because we were just across the street. And I knew if he heard my mother call, Stephanie, come home for dinner, he would know I was a girl. And then he wouldn't let me do it anymore. That's what I thought. So I didn't really want to biologically be a boy. And again, this is my story. I know that there are those who are, who do feel that way. I just wanted to be a boy because I loved to do what boys got to do. And I hated what girls were supposed to do. I remember trying to play dolls with the neighbor next door, Lisa. And I remember coming home and thinking, I am never doing that again. That was the most boring thing I have ever done. <laughs> so that was kind of in a nutshell um, what, what my childhood was like, you know, my elementary school years. And um, I, I had some anchoring moments. And at age nine, I had a real anchoring moment where I had just experienced some of these, um, I mean, it was shortly after I had been pantsed. And I, I had just decided, my mother had just had uh, her sixth baby, my youngest sister. And I was so discouraged. Jeez, I hope I don't get too emotional here. You're doing great. <laughs> I got so discouraged that one day I just decided I didn't want to live anymore. And I remember bundling up in some winter clothes and going. We had a hollow near our home that I just loved. I loved to play in that hollow. And I went down and sat against a log and just had a talk with God, which is not something that was foreign to me. I grew up praying. We prayed in my family all the time. And I remember just saying, why would you make me this way if it's the wrong way to be? And I'm told that you don't make mistakes. Why would you make me this way if it's not what I'm supposed to be? And as clear as I'm talking to you, voice came into my head that said, I need you just the way you are. Wow. It was a very anchoring moment. I had some other really anchoring moments. But after that, I went back and I did the best I could. Um, looking back on it now, you know, I wasn't really taught as a child much about Heavenly Mother. You know, it makes sense that we have a Heavenly Mother because we have Heavenly parents, just like we have earthly parents. But I really believe that I am created in the image of my Heavenly parents. I, uh, within a year... Well, I was, I was about 11, actually. A girl moved in next to my piano teacher. My parents had me take piano, much to my disgust. <laughs> but we had this one wonderful thing happen that this girl moved in, and she was a tomboy. And I met her, and we were inseparable after that. And I was just amazed. I look back on that now, and I think... I know that was provided for both of us. We both needed it. Because up until then, there were, there were no other girls like me. I find out down the road, once, you know, I get outside my bubble and get into especially high school and Title IX passes, and it's like, oh, there's a lot of other girls like me. I love this, you know. And there's lots of girls that want to play sports and build things and shoot guns and those kinds of things, you know. And, um, and so that was wonderful to have that best friend that I really connected with. I had some more anchoring experiences when I uh, 
was 15 turning 16, I was able to go on a BYU survival. And it was a birthday present from my parents. And it was honestly the best birthday present they could give a kid like me, <laughs> where you go and have some amazing experiences in southern Utah living off the land and really testing yourself physically. And I had some amazing anchoring experiences there. So, um, and then again, uh, college, I, I was on athletic scholarship to begin with and um, attended institute class and was challenged to read the Book of Mormon and had never really done it by myself before. I know that sounds strange, but we did it as a family, but I'd never really done it myself and had a tremendous experience, an anchoring experience that helped me to know that it's a true record and a desire then to go on a mission. And I served a mission in New Zealand and some more wonderful anchoring experiences. So I... I am all in this. I don't know all the answers, of course, and I don't know how some things are going to work out, but we're, we're all in, my husband and I, with those anchoring experiences. So then... Um, Let me just, um, just a couple comments. You are doing a great job. Just as a listener to stories... Li- these are some of the things that come to me, listeners, is, you know, Steph's early 60s, and you're remembering the clarity of what you're remembering from these grade school years is striking to me. Um, and it helps me understand the, the trauma and the pain and the difficult spot you're in because you remember them so well. And you have names for some of the people and, you know, and even the age of that sand and I think it just helps me to understand just what a difficult spot you're in. I also, second thought is I have, I wrote down talents and I think of the parable of the talents and you were given and are given really unique, beautiful talents, but sometimes our talents butt up against cultural norms. <laughs> it's and true. I think there's a principle there for us, for parents is to, as we see people with unique talents that may butt up with cultural norms, not to necessarily mute those talents, even if they're none of the talents and things you want to do are outside the doctrine of our church. Obviously, there was no, no there was no talent that was butting up against doctrine. They were just how you're wired, and so I just think, and I I don't think either of us are faulting culture or society at that point. We're just learning more about just people with different talents and to sort of take these boxes and make them a little wider so people can grow. Um, I love your anchoring moments. I love that you were honest with yourself about what a dark spot you got into and how you dealt with that. And I think that helps other people that get in dark spots and can turn to their heavenly parents. I wrote down word for word what you said, I need you just the way you are. And maybe you're going to get to this, but that kind of leads to a question, Steph, now that you're you know, I can't quite do the math in my mind, 45 years removed, 50 years removed from this, somewhere in there. I'm 62, so I probably more like about uh, 50, 53. You know, I was so nine. you're 53 years removed from this experience and you've got the long view of looking back. What would you say to yourself if you could go into that hall? And maybe you're going to get in this and maybe it's in the book. What would you say to your nine-year-old self in that hollow? <laughs> That's interesting you should ask because it's just uh, probably a couple of months ago, I actually wrote a letter to myself. I had heard that that's really a good thing to do. I think during the process of writing my book, um, a lot of the trauma returned. Mm. And I kind of went through. I actually, actually reconnected with a counselor and did a few virtual sessions with a counselor. And that's that's a point I want to make. Oh, no one should, should feel any kind of shame to, to need to reach out and, and get some professional help, help from a counselor that they trust. Uh, I do think that there are counselors that aren't good fits and maybe not wise, but um, no one should feel shame that they need help sometimes. 
I and, agree. Um, I went through that process of writing the book and then was going through trying trying to find a publisher, which is, I don't know how many query letters I wrote. <laughs> it was hard. But um, I, I kind of went through a real doubting time. Gosh, do I really want to tell all this? Do I really want to open this up? And um, one of the things that I talked about with this counselor was writing a letter to myself. And I know I, I should have brought a copy of it to quote from it, I guess. But at one point in the letter, I say, you know, I know that this is the way you feel right now. But there will be a time in your life when those talents, those things that you love, you will be able to do them. I didn't go on to build houses. I went on to build children as an educator. But I have this wonderful man who we have a big backyard and he lets me build whatever I want. <laughs> and he's, I do. He's got a big smile on his face. <laughs> Listeners, Home Depot is my favorite store. <laughs> Sometimes I go just to walk up and down the aisles and smell the wood <laughs> like a woman who another woman who might want to go shopping in a clothing store. So I love that you just talk about who you are with no <laughs> shame and just tell us about what makes you tick. That's great. Yeah, I, I can now. Thankfully, it's and I parallel that with, you know, getting to my daughter. Yeah, please do. That here, uh, you know, uh, we have the three daughters, and from the time they were little, whatever they naturally kind of gravitated to, it was great. And they all played sports. But our oldest two also liked to dance and sing and be in the musicals and ballet, those kinds of things. And then we, we struggled to get our kids here. And after many years, we finally got our little Hannah and she was my little tomboy twin. And I loved it. You know, here's, here's my little gal that wants to go fishing. And she didn't want to play, ever play with dolls and those kinds of things. Um, so I thought, here's my little tomboy twin. And I loved it. Um, she wanted to play rugby and she played soccer, she played some basketball, but she, she really moved towards rugby. And I wasn't the least bit concerned about her playing rugby other than the roughness of it. And it is the only thing more rough than women's rugby is men's rugby. I don't think there's a harder sport. I watched it when I was in New Zealand on my mission. I got to go to a match and thought, this is horrible. They're just killing each other. So now I have a daughter that wants to play it. And she, we just encouraged her and all of our kids in anything they really wanted to do. In fact, at one point we had to say, all right, I think we're doing too much. We got to kind of cut back. And especially as they got older and it, you know, they got busier and lots of homework. But when she, she did come to us, and tell us that she was pretty sure she was gay and had a same-sex attraction. Um, like I point out in my in my blog that I wrote for my sister's site, I made a lot of mistakes. I remember even saying to her once, "Are you sure? You know, you're just a tomboy like me." I got I got called. Believe me, especially um, college. When I played, I, I got a, a scholarship for softball and basketball. And people just figured everybody on the college team was gay. You know, the women's, oh, women jocks, they're gay. And we were just kind of lumped into that category. So I was, I was hesitant and, and wanted her to make sure she was sure. And, and I know in that process probably said some things that weren't very smart on my part and maybe... I did more talking than she did, which wasn't very smart. Um, I wish now I'd been a lot more curious, um, a little less maybe preachy, you know, or 
just now, you know, I love um, Becky McIntosh's book because she states the same thing. So when I, I read her book, I thought, oh, okay, I'm not the only parent that made a bunch of mistakes. But um, How old is Hannah at this point when she opens up to you? She is, I'm going to guess about 16. 16, yeah. And it was hard. She, she, her father was serving as the bishop at the time. She knew what we believed, and she she had heard it growing up, and she'd hidden it, but she she just didn't want to hide it anymore. And I'm thankful. I'm really thankful that you know she was able to to tell us. And I, I know that during that time, I. Um, I spent a lot of lonely nights. You you served as a bishop. Um, probably the loneliest five years of our marriage. <laughs> Reed's busy. Yes. But I did a lot of reading and listening to things. Um, and one of, the, one of the first books I read was Tom Christofferson's book, That We May Be One. And I just loved what um, his parents said in that book about the only thing that we can be perfect at is loving, loving Tom. Because the way your children, because they were very concerned about their kids when, when Tom would bring a partner to the family gatherings, and they said, what your children will get from this is they will see nothing will ever take them outside the circle of our family's love. And I, in that moment, thought, that is what I want. That's what I want us to do. And so the first thing I did was write a letter to Elder Christofferson. <laughs> That's what anybody would think to do, right? <laughs> and I wrote him and I said, okay, how did you, how did you accomplish that? I want to know because that's what I want to do in my family. And I, I told my husband, I don't think I'll ever hear from him. Can you imagine how many letters they get? Can you just imagine? And if I do, it'll probably be from his secretary or something like that. And so I, I just sent it off. More therapeutic maybe than anything. And um, I remember one morning... Uh, I was had just played some pickleball and I came home and I jumped in the shower. And while I showered, I was thinking, if you never hear from Elder Christofferson, would that shake your testimony? And I, right out loud in the shower, said, of course not. And I'm not kidding you, that day a letter came. And it was a beautiful letter. I read it often. And I... In fact, I want to read just a little bit of it. I brought a few Please do. direct quotes that I want um, to share. He assured me that our determination to love our sweet daughter, come what may, is the correct choice. He wrote, I believe my parents' determination to love Tom without reservation, while at the same time maintaining without question their loyalty to the Lord and their covenants, were the two pillars that made possible a positive way forward. They did not see these as inconsistent because they are not. And then Elder Christofferson made me a promise that Hannah would always feel appreciate, appreciated and would feel my love despite possible tense moments and disagreements and in the long run always want to maintain a close relationship with me. And I look at that as an apostolic blessing to me. Love that. So that gave me great strength. And one of the things that shortly after Hannah came to us and told us that she was gay, that happened was we had regularly gone to the temple to do baptisms with her, both Reed and I. And she didn't have a lot of friends. She was a lot like me growing up. She, she didn't have a lot of friends. And so we, um, we would go with her to the temple. 
And so shortly after this, she came and again laid on the bed with me one night and said, Mom, I don't think I want to go to the temple anymore. And I said, no, why is that? You know, you really haven't done anything, you know? And she said, because I look at those workers at the temple when I go with you, and I think to myself, if you knew who I really am, you wouldn't want me here. And all of a sudden, I'm that little nine-year-old girl helping that guy across the street. Wow. If he knew I was a girl, he wouldn't let me help build the house anymore. And so I think I began to realize the measure of the sadness that she was feeling and not feeling, you know, like she belonged. And I think a lot of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters feel that way. Like they don't belong. Because of the way, and I believe this with all my heart, because of the way they were created. So, sorry, I'm getting really very emotional. I'm sorry. You're doing a great job, Steph. And um, it's really tender. I think. Just a couple comments, and I'll turn it back to you. I think it's a credit to you and Reed that you created a family culture that Hannah came out at 16. That, even though that's complicated, and I think it's a credit to you as parents and something all of us as parents want to do is create a family culture so our kids will open up about the reality of their life so that we as parents can walk with them on the road that they're really on. Yes. And I love that she told you about this temple experience instead of kept that to herself and maybe never opened up why. And I think it just creates an authentic connection between the two of you. And I love that you connected the dots back to your nine-year-old self and how she was feeling in this beautiful moment of, comes back to what Elder Christofferson said, is you're just there for your daughter and you're loving your daughter and you're creating a family culture that she can share with you how you fe- she feels. And you can just sit with her in that moment, which is about the best thing we can do as parents. There's no real answers, but we just sit with our kids or with others in the complexities of their situation and validate how they feel. Yes. I love that you create a non-binary for women that played sports. You know, I think there's these cultural things that, like you said, that all women that are on the volleyball team are gay. (laughs) And all men that whatever. And I think, listeners, we just have to move on from those sort of binary narratives and just realize there's a lot of nuance and we shouldn't form opinions about groups of people until we talk to every volleyball player on the team, for example. (laughs) And just, I think it adds to people's burdens with these binary narratives that added to your burden and created it and just made it harder for you to be you. Yeah. and you had to always have all these narratives sort of coming over your shoulders. You were just using your talents to, to bless your life and bless others, your God-given talents. So um, I'll turn it back to you to just keep telling your story. Well, I love what you said there about sitting. I um, You had... Uh, Spencer Thompson on yeah. a little while ago, and we've actually attended virtually. We're discovering the wonderful things about COVID-19. <laughs> I know there's a lot of really bad, but being able to do things virtually is most wonderful. And we attended two North Star conferences, and I have just loved the things that Spencer has said and loved the article from this month's Lyona and I hope I'm saying that right, Lyahona. Yes, I think that's great. <laughs> anyway, um, when you had him on, you talked about that, you know, sitting, just sitting with people. And sometimes that's all it is. And there were a couple of things that he mentioned that, oh, I just loved. In fact, I'm quoting from Spencer. Way to this. go, Spencer. <laughs> Way to go, Spencer. I hope I get to meet you someday. <laughs> We've talked about maybe when it's opened up again. We go in person so we can meet some of these wonderful people. Um, 
But he says there is such power in taking time to ask sincere questions and listen to one another's experiences. Active listening is key to compassion because it shows people that you are genuinely interested in them and enables them to open up to you more. Sister Michelle D. Craig, first counselor in the Young Women General Presidency, taught, Jesus Christ sees people deeply. He sees individuals, their needs, and who they can become. When we willingly hear one another's stories and see one another deeply, we open the door to seeing others the way Christ does. And I, I want to thank you because I think you do that, Richard. I think you really do. Thank you, Steph. Keep sharing. This is just a great story. Um, well, as Hannah got older, she um, decided, when she graduated high school, she decided that she wanted to start dating girls. And I bring this up in my blog, too. That really kind of stressed me out. <laughs> I don't know why. It's kind of, I guess, a natural thing. Because no one wants to be alone. But I don't know, maybe secretly, and I know Hannah will be listening to this, and she knows she knows everything. I've told her everything. But I think maybe deep down inside, I thought she would maybe outgrow it or something. I don't know. But um, she started dating um, some girls, and she, as she did so, and in particularly, she moved and she attended UVU and um, moved down to Vineyard, which is kind of West Orem area. And um, she was not comfortable with the way she was treated there and was quite often, she recalls, she's, she's told us times that she had things thrown at her if she was walking with a girl, holding hands, um, called names, um, just some really hard things wow. that people shouldn't experience. Um, and again, brought back memories of me being bullied. And in time, she recognized that probably this wasn't the best place for her to live. And so she's now moved to Vancouver, Washington, and and is feeling a lot more comfortable about the life choices that she's pursuing. And she does have a girlfriend, and we we love her. She's a gal that she met her back in high school, probably about fifteen, what fifteen or sixteen, and they actually did a. Uh, humanitarian experience in the Dominican Republic together. And then when they got back from that, they kind of went their separate ways for a while and Hannah dated other people, but they've gravitated back towards each other. And, and that's where her family moved to Vancouver a while ago. And so Hannah's my big, big hearted girl who she's uh, gone to three foreign countries and worked in orphanages and helped build a homeless center in Mexico, a medical center in Dominican Republic, and then worked in several orphanages in Ecuador. So she's just got a heart as big as Texas. So she's a delightful girl. I miss her. I'm sad that she felt like she had to move away. Sorry. <laughs> this is a wonderful tribute to you, Hannah. By the way, that you're, I'm struck with, I talked to your mom before you went live, before we went live, just about the blog and that Hannah was glad. And I think listeners, it, if, parents are willing to talk about their LGBTQ children, it reduces the shame sometimes that, wait a second, my mom actually wants to talk about me. <laughs> um, she must not feel very much shame about me or be embarrassed about me. She actually wants to talk about me. 
And I just started to quickly write down all the things you just talked about, Hannah. Sometimes, listeners, we define people by their status with the church. And that's true. That's one dimension of our relationship. But I think Heavenly Father wants us to see people for all the good they're accomplishing in the world. And it's the reality of her life. She's not, you know, in the church right now. But I love that you talk about her gigantic heart that's the size of Texas. (laughs) What a great compliment. I talk about, you know, in all these countries, a homeless, she's still pretty young, a homeless center, love of the Dominican Republic. She's been to multiple countries, three. And so she's just a wonderful woman. I love that she wanted to play rugby. We have a son that plays rugby. Rugby is intense. (laughs) It is intense. (laughs) And I love, Hannah, that you love to play rugby and you just saw that as something you wanted to do. And so, and I love that you have this, you know, I come back to your nine-year-old personal revelation. I I need you just the way you are. I think part of that is because you're going to be the mom of Hannah one day. I believe that with all my heart. And and you have, no parent is perfect, but perhaps you're just the perfect mom and dad for Hannah. No parent wants to feel like they're perfect, but I think each parent can feel like I'm the right parent or the perfect parent or exactly who God wanted me to be for these kids. That doesn't mean we're perfect and we don't mess up and we wish we did more listening in your Exactly. I've certainly not been a perfect parent, but I think that's a this is a beautiful love story of just a family, you know, following the example that Elder Christofferson's parents followed and keeping the family circle together and keeping communication. I also recognize that it's partly on us listeners, for those that are in the church, to create a feeling of belonging that we need to we need to proactively let LGBTQ people know they're welcome. So I don't, we, that doesn't change our doctrine, but we just no. need more messages in from our church, from society that just say, you, you're wanted here. You're needed here. We're better off with you here. <laughs> and so that if you're at the temple, there's a cultural change that no daughter or son should feel the way Hannah felt that if they really knew I was not straight, they wouldn't want me here. Yeah. And she had internalized that just because of the message you see to her generally, that that's how those people felt. Now, some of them might have felt that way and some might not have, but it was a legitimate conclusion that she came to. And that we as Latter-day Saints need to create a feeling of belonging. So there's work for us to do. And these stories sometimes cause me to look inward and say, what could I do better? And am I, is it I, one of the challenges of being in what we call the true church is it's harder sometimes, I think, to look inward and say, is it I? And what do I need to change? Versus just looking outward and saying, what's wrong with everybody else? (laughs) (laughs) So there's just work for us to do. And if we see a couple holding hands that are the same sex, walking down the street. I think, what would Jesus do? I just think he wouldn't do what was described done to Hannah. Yeah. And so I think we just have to, that beautiful, what would Jesus do? You know, kind of the basic primary answer, right? And I'm not saying then Hannah wouldn't be where she is today, but I think we can just do better. And you're helping us look inward and say, what can we do better? Yes. So those I, are just some thoughts that come to mind, but I love, Hannah's awesome. And if you're listening, Hannah, I love that your parents want to talk about you, <laughs> want to write about you, want to blog about you, be on a podcast. And even though your mom's doing this little talking, your dad's here. And I just watching his face, he is fully here. Yes, he is. He is not like cringing or kind of saying, mom, don't say that. He's right. You know, this is a unified couple talking about their daughter even though Steph's doing the talking. Yes. So I'll turn it back to you, Steph. Well, I was thinking the other day about a talk I heard Elder Uchtdorf give about, um, I think it was in a CES. I, I love it. We, we actually watched the little video of it with our grandkids the other day when they came. And it's the, the story of the kind of a parable, I guess, from India somewhere like that, of the six blind men that all fill different parts of the elephant. And the man who felt the trunk felt like he was touching a snake. And the man who felt the tree, the leg was thinking it was a tree. And, and without kind of getting other people's 
ideas of what are you experiencing? What are you experiencing? So they can kind of come together and say, ah, this is what it is. You know, they were kind of just staying to themselves. But he says this, and I just, I love it. Um, He says, as you accept the responsibility to seek after truth with an open mind and a humble heart, you will become more tolerant of others, more open to listen, more prepared to understand, more inclined to build up instead of tearing down, and more willing to go where the Lord wants you to go. And I feel like our hearts having changed. Me personally, my heart is evidence that I that, that is what we're trying to do. I'm not just touching the trunk of the elephant and saying, oh, it's a snake. I want to say, okay, what are you feeling? Now, what are you feeling? And what are you feeling? So that I can become more um, just open-hearted. I know this open-minded, open-hearted, and feeling what others are feeling. And it just it will lead us to be where the Lord needs us to be. And I, I just love that from him. I love Elder Ruchdorf. I also love our prophet and what he has said um, about letting God prevail in our lives. If, if I really think about, that's not just this thing you put on your fridge, you know. If you really think about what it means to allow something to prevail in your life, I think it's that we really are allowing, um, I wrote my thoughts down here, we're allowing our Heavenly Father and thoughts of our Heavenly home and our Heavenly parents to really be a more a, a stronger part and stronger influence in our lives. Um, and that there's really no room for um, judgment then, harsh judgment. And, you know, I think having grown up the way that I did, if there's one thing that I really, really, I'm not going to use the word hate, but I really, really don't like. It's when things are passed down, when rigid, cultural, traditional things are passed down from generation to generation to generation without really thinking about what are we really doing here? And I love our prophet for that very thing. I remember one day sitting and waiting probably a half an hour in a ceiling session. This was several years ago. (laughs) And saying we had to wait. We were trying to seal some sons. And we had to wait for four men. And we only had two. Because two men had to be the witnesses. And then we need, you know, the couple and then the son. And I thought, I could sit in that chair and watch those cards as easily as any guy could. (laughs) And I like jump for joy when, you know, okay, I can now. Because I think that was a very cultural thing that's just been passed down. And I love that we're thinking about those kinds of things now. You know, not doctrinal at all. What a great example. And it's, and I think when people open up with a feeling, like let's say you'd open up with that feeling before, I think we have to honor how people feel, listeners, and not say, well, Steph, you're on the slippery slope to leaving the church because you have a different (laughs) feeling about something. Um, That wasn't a difference about our doctrine. It was just a procedure, a policy, a cultural thing. So I think there's a principle there, listeners, that if someone opens up about something, they're a little they just wonder, could that be done differently? They recognize that they're not in a position to change that for the church. or they Exactly. Don't, they're not in a standing. That's not how it works. But if someone just opens up, I think we create space for them to, to not feel judged and not culturally. Back to our culture, we create a culture that allows people to be honest with how they feel. As long as you didn't, you didn't get up and try to be the witness, you just felt that way. Yes. So it's not like you did anything inappropriate you just had a feeling so i think that teaches a principle of creating space and i do think that many people have some feelings that they're 
uh, they really wonder about. And um, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's bad. I have the things that anchor me. And I know you kind of referred to it as dominoes. Yeah. But I have those anchors in place. But then there are these other things when I really don't know about that. There's several things. I really don't know about that. But there is one thing I do know. I really do believe that I know this. And that is that someday I can have all understanding. And these answers will come. I don't know when that day is. I Probably the next life. But I will. And there's things that I think we all have if we'd deep down admit it. Maybe I'm just more vocal than most people. <laughs> I think a lot of people feel this way. More things you'd like to share? Well, I think I just kind of wanted to wrap up if, with a few things. I, um, I just feel so strongly that it is wrong for us to scoff or make fun of um, people for their feelings or for, you know, sometimes even their actions. I know one of the things that Hannah, we, we encouraged her to, to attend like EFYs and HEFYs and things like that. And she came home and this was kind of a clue for us. She and her cousin did an EFY at uh, BYU-Idaho. I think it was BYU-Idaho back then. And she came home. She was probably about 14. And she, you know, we're asking, how did it go? What did you learn? Those kinds of things. And one of the first things out of her mouth was how one of her instructors because I guess they're kind of paired up with some, a couple of people, had just been very, very opinionated about gay people and had scoffed and made fun of and uh, really not said some kind things. And I just think that is so not wise that we need to be so careful about, and I think it is getting better, but we certainly could do much better. We really could. Because I don't think anybody needs to be made to feel afraid um, or, you know, left out because of what they really feel when they allow themselves to be really fully seen, you know. And I, I this morning while I was exercising, I was watching conference and I happened to turn on Sharon Eubank's talk and oh, I, I love Sharon Eubank but she quoted a scripture from Alma and I'd forgotten about it and you know kind of preparing for this because this has been on my mind all day and uh, I thought that you could totally look at that in every aspect of life and I just want to read from Alma 1 I think it's verse 30 and where she talks about the people and what they did for each other. And they did not send any away any who were naked or that were hungry or that were athirst or that were sick or that had not been nourished. Therefore, they were liberal to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, whether out of the church or in the church having no respect to persons as to who stood in need. And there are many ways that we can hunger and thirst and be lonely and be naked. And we as a people need to not withhold any in or out of the church, withhold our love and our caring and concern from, any from anyone. So that really hit me this morning. That is a powerful scripture based on doctrine that, that is actionable on how we should treat everybody. Um, I was thinking the other day about what is, what is one of the most frequently quoted scripture 
ever in our church, and it's James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And I think, I believe as I, as I do this and accept the responsibility to find truth, really, really find truth, because we're going to be forever finding truth. It's, I, I love there a prophet says, this is ongoing. It's ongoing. I love the ninth article of faith. We believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and that he will yet reveal many great and important things. And, and I, I believe that as we go to our Heavenly Father and search for wisdom, that those things will be made known to us, how we can help one another and just um, be open-minded, have humble hearts, be tolerant, more tolerant of others, and more open to listen and understand and more inclined to build instead of tear down. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for my children, my grandchildren. And I just, I feel strongly that most people, I believe most people want to be loved, understood, and useful. They want to feel useful. And I think if we can help people feel that, those things, we're going to be able to accomplish this. Just love your heart. Love your insights in the gospel. Love your quotes of our leaders. This is a really helpful podcast for lots of people. Thank you. Um, you're really practically... You're teaching the doctrine in this space as a mom of a gay daughter and how to sort of apply this in real life in real terms in a family situation. It's not theoretical anymore at your home. It's um, practical and it's, and it's working to keep your family together. I love this invitation you shared at the end. Each of us need to feel loved, understood, and useful. So I think about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and what we can do as parents and leaders. Useful is a really good word. No one's, I've never quite used, but we, they, I think we all need to feel we're not only just sort of allowed to be here if we're LGBTQ or, but we're actually that part of us, this desirable part of us to help create the body of Christ that Paul talks about. It's actually useful because of that, the talents that LGBTQ people can bring to the table to help us create Zion. And if they have a feeling that they're not loved or not understood, and I go back to that tender experience your daughter felt about the temple. She had felt not loved or not understood. And if she had felt those two because of the narrative she had heard growing up, not in your family, but just in culture, in church culture, because sometimes we develop a church culture, we just we kind of need a villain sometimes or someone to sort of like pin our yes. final comments when we give a Sunday school lesson. And so we sort of harp on gay people and we just need to live a higher, holier law where we don't do that anymore because we have to realize there's probably LGBTQ people in our Sunday school classes. We say that. Yes. Like Hannah growing up. And so that is my invitation to just join with Steph is to help everybody feel loved, more understood and useful. So thank you, Reed and Steph, Stephanie Povey, and for just coming on another episode of Listen, Learn and Love. Thank you for sharing those quotes. Thank you for loving your daughter. I do have one question. Okay. Some parents may be new to this space and you're and thinking, oh no, I've got a kid out of the church. My my vision of my eternal family just blew up. Um, what I thought on Temple Day when my husband and I kneel across the altar to the reality of having adult kids that aren't all in the church on the covenant path, our eternal family just blew up and they're ruining my eternal family because they're out of the church and I can't fix this. And just talk to parents that are in that spot right now. Well, it is hard. It's challenging. I, I don't think any of us um, who, you know, have that mindset where we're going to the temple, we're being sealed, we're going to 
have this eternal family and all be together in the celestial kingdom. That's a wonderful goal. It's a wonderful thing to, to look forward to. Um, I guess for me, I have learned so much. I I forgot to express one thing that I want. I have learned so much from this that I'm not sure I want it any other way, you know, because of what it's taught me. Because only our heavenly parents and our Savior know really what that eternal family is going to look like. And we have, you know, I know even as a missionary I preached, okay, you can't, you you got to do it now because there might not be time later and that kind of thing. But I think that, you know, we've got to also trust trust that things are going to play out the way that they're supposed to do and that the only thing I can do is what I can do and now we try to do everything we can to build uh, connections within our family our eternal family they are ours and they like we're flying down next week to go to Texas and we're all going down and going to have a big fun family vacation together and those kinds of things that I think we still look at it as it's our eternal family and we're doing everything in our power to build the friendships that we have and the love that we have and even though you know we don't all see eye to eye I honestly this is okay this is Stephanie Povey philosophy or doctrine <laughs> I honestly don't believe the city of Enoch all voted for the same person or all believed this way or that way about mask mandates or whatever. I believe what they genuinely had was love and concern for each other. And I believe that if I can build that, if my husband and I can build that, then we are going to have our city of Zion, our eternal family, or however you want to word it. And I know it's hard. I have a very dear friend right now who's, whose daughter is gay and is, is acting on it and, and, and dating girls. And it is, it's crushing to her right now. It's new and it's hard. And I, I had to admit to her some days, I feel like, hey, I'm on top of this. I got this. But then there'll be other times when I just get really sad and think things like, I didn't ever think I'd have a daughter-in-law because I have three daughters. But then, and then you have this, this other like, oh, but, but you know what? If my daughter were going to marry another woman, and that would make her happy and bring her peace and she wouldn't struggle or be in, you know, turmoil all of her life. I would want her to find someone that she could share her life with that would make her happy too. And I don't know, maybe that's... Yeah, that's great. And I don't think being hopeful for your daughter's hopes makes it... I think it just helps her make better decisions. Is she know you're kind of walking with her? I don't think. So I think, yeah, it's just the reality of your situation. I love your thoughts about the city of Enoch. I've been thinking about the city of Enoch and why they were translated. And I, I've come to the same conclusions that they didn't all, it, they weren't translated because of sameness. They were translated because of unity. And I think of Elder Renlund's talk in conference of October 2021 where he was sort of teaching, we're not going to get, it's unity. No poor among us. There probably were different feelings about different issues in the city of Enoch. And I think that's a beautiful principle for what our congregations need to be and what we need to be. But I love then that you took that to your family. No one's ever, I've never thought of that before and thought we can be unified as a family. And I thought of two things. I saw, thought of Elder Gay's talk when he gave a, a blessing to his sister who was never fully active. Yes, and I love that talk too. And he was rebuked by the Spirit because he didn't, that's the way he defined his relationship with her and saw her. And he didn't see her. And then he talked in these loving terms about his sister. 
And I just think he, the veil got a little thinner and he saw her a little bit as Heavenly Father saw her. And I think that's what we do in these situations. My brother, who wrote a book called Bridges Listeners, has some adult children out of the church. And he just talks about, we're making sure there's no empty seats at our table. That's right. And that's when right. you talk about going on this trip to, to Texas, or if you have a future daughter-in-law, she's going to be part of your family. I don't. I think that's just what Elder Christofferson's inviting you to do in that letter in the book. And in our doctrine is to keep the family circle close together. And some would say, well, aren't you going to stand up for truth? And I would say, people in your family circle know that, know what our church teaches. You're, they already, you, you don't have to remind them, you know, I think they know what you believe and what the church teaches. And I just think you allow the reality of their lives to be different. You keep the family circle together. And in some ways, that ends up becoming relieving for parents because they say, I can do that. I can love my kids. Yes. I can't control their their choices going forward. And if I try to do that, like we could with parents with little kids, it just, it's a transitional thing. And then it's relieving and it's just, okay, I get it. I just like Becky McIntosh taught, I leave this to the savior and everybody's going to be welcome my home and I'm going to keep the family circle together. And, and I'm not giving up my doctrine to do that. In fact, I'm really living my doctrine. Exactly. To do that. So this is just a great podcast. You two are great. Thanks for your service. Thanks for your commitment to church. Thanks for teaching us how to keep a family circle together. Thank you for some wonderful quotes. That Elder Uchtdorf one I've never heard before. Or I've probably heard it. I've forgotten. I've forgotten about the scripture in Alma, whether in or out of the church. That's a great one. That is. And um, so thank you, Stephanie and Reed Popey. And thank you, Hannah. If you're listening, you're part of this story as well as these other two daughters. And this is just a great family. And this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>